Okay, that is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, has anybody here seen Won't You Be My Neighbor before? Oh, good. Okay, if you haven't, like, just cancel the rest of your evening plans and go and watch it. It is so, so good. It came out last year, and um, there's very few movies that I've cried more in, and I am not ashamed to admit that because it is the heart of, uh, it's the story of a guy like Fred Rogers who absolutely loved Jesus, and that part of his story is not often told, um, and a lot of people don't even know that about him. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about his story um, as we're looking at how uh, it ties into the topic um, that we're in today in this series, At the Movies. Um, but there, there are certain days in our lives that we never forget. And you could even now, if I said, just take a moment and list out two or three days that may have happened years ago, but you still so vividly remember them. They usually revolve around moments where even as they were happening, you knew your life would never be the same. You know what I'm saying? Like you knew your life was changing and your story was shifting in a new direction. I mean, sometimes you saw it coming and sometimes you were just completely blindsided by it. You know, your wedding day, you knew like your, your, your life is changing. Um, the day your kids were born, you're maybe graduating high school or college, or maybe just a big decision you made where you can point back to and you say, I remember that moment in my life where I felt with such confidence that this is what God had for me, and I can't turn back now. I had one of those, uh, like really one of the first moments that was like that for me in my life was when I was 17 years old, and I'd start, I started following Jesus, and I got baptized when I was around 16 and so this was less than a year later, really. I think I wasn't even 17 yet. And my youth group went on like a youth winter retreat. Um, and has anybody ever been on like a, a Christian camp or winter retreat before with their youth group or with their church? Yeah, a bunch of us have. And uh, usually like the last night of that is like the decision night. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Where like the camp speaker comes up and he says, okay, tonight is your night, and he's usually charismatic, and got, well, for me, he had gelled up hair, because this is like the 90s, and bleached hair, and all that stuff, and so he's jumping around the stage, and he's saying, if you've never turned from your sin to follow Jesus, tonight's your night, I want you to raise your hand, and all these kids are crying, like, that's me, I gotta do it, and then it's like, if you've never been baptized, this Sunday, we're baptizing back at church, it's like, I'm all in, and then he's like, if you have a decision that you want to have a girlfriend? Yeah, that's, that, that didn't happen, but like all of us wish it did. Um, but, then, but then my youth group always asked this one question. I'd never heard it before until this night where it was, if you feel God is calling you to full-time ministry, I want you to raise your hand so that we can have leaders come and pray with you. And I'd never really thought about that before. And I thought up to that point, like I was going to be uh, I was going to be a writer for a living, and I, I'd been writing a lot of movies and stories, and I thought that God had wired me to be a storyteller, and, uh, but I, in that moment, like, you know, sometimes somebody says something, and it just, like, sticks out in your mind, and I just felt like, like, almost an out-of-body experience as I just raised my hand, and all my friends around me, like, what are you doing? no you're not going to be a pastor. You're horrible at that. They're like, stop it. And this guy, guy's like down the road, like that guy, there's no way he's going to be like, what are you doing? You don't know what they're saying. But I just felt like something in my heart that, that God was shifting my story to something else. And I was confused because I had all these passions. Nobody in, in my family had ever gone into like pastoral ministry before. I honestly didn't even know it was a full-time job. 
I thought that, like a lot of you guys do, that like the guy just shows up on Sunday and teaches, and then he goes and works another job. That's what a lot of pastors do. And so I, and even as I was thinking through that, I was like, well, God, you've given me a passion to tell stories, but I, I kind of feel like maybe you're shifting it right now. It was one of those moments that I'll never forget. Now, here's what I discovered, like here's what I learned since then in the last 15 years of my life is I don't think that's a fair question. I don't think that that guy, that camp speaker, should have even asked that question because it creates um, a false dichotomy of the Christian faith that there's some Christ followers that are called into full-time ministry and there's some that are not. And that's not true. The call to follow Jesus is a call to full-time ministry. And very few of those callings will be lived out by working in a local church. Most of your call to full-time ministry, it's going to be with the passion that God's put on your heart, and it might not have anything to do with Grace Church. In fact, that's most of us in this room. There's less than a handful of us here that their full-time calling in ministry is to serve here at Grace Church as our full-time jobs. And over time, it took me about four years for me to recognize that God did call me to be a storyteller, but not just to write movies and move to Hollywood and, and try to win an Oscar, um, but to tell stories that would point people to God. And I realized the passion that he'd put on my heart was my full-time calling. And so here's my prayer today. This is a shorter message because we're about to do something significant and special at the end of our time together. My prayer is that if you've never gone all in on following Jesus, and you know what, like when I'm saying that, like you've never really had that moment that you have turned from your sin from your selfishness towards others, from your, from your disobedience to God and what he has for your life, and turned towards God's saving grace and the relationship he has for you, my prayer is today will be your day. And if you've never been baptized underwater since you made that decision, even if that decision is today for you, that today you will be baptized. And if you have made both of those decisions... My prayer is that through this time, as we look at God's word, you will be encouraged, and maybe there will be even some clarification on what it means for you to be in full-time ministry, because I don't think it means that everybody's working for a local church. I think the overwhelming majority, your full-time ministry is right where you are, because you're able to reach people that this church never will, and God's positioned you in that way. I am really excited about this. Um, we're going to be looking at clips from... Uh, one of my favorite movies, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Um, and I feel like to kind of set the scene, who's seen Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood before? We know how it, all the episodes begin, right? Okay, well, I got a sweater. Um, <laughs> obviously, it's not new because I don't even know if they sell these new anymore, but I did get it from a thrift store, which is just as good. So here's what I'm going to do. Will you guys sing it with me? We're not going to do the whole song. We're just going to do two lines. If you're too shy, that's fine. Uh, we're all going to sing it. But It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be my, won't you be my, won't you be my neighbor? You guys feel like just more comforted? Yeah, you can clap for yourself. I look, I look like a hipster. This is how hipsters dress. They dress like Mr. Rogers, don't they? Like a hipster dress is kind of like their grandma. There's, there's like a very close gap here, or Mr. Rogers in this. I'm going to wear this the whole time. I hope it doesn't distract you. It's probably the only time I'll do it because we don't often talk about Mr. Rogers. But Fred Rogers really is one of my ministry heroes.
because I think that the passion that he had is similar to the passion that I feel like God's put on my heart, and I think the struggle he had in his call to ministry is, is like, it, I, as I was watching that movie, I felt like it was my story. Um, and Fred Rogers, most people don't know this about his story, but he loved Jesus, and he wanted to make an impact for Jesus. And he came back from college, he graduated from college, and he was all set to go to seminary. He was going to be a minister. He felt like that's what God had put on his heart. But as he was applying for seminary, he discovered this thing called television. And he realized that he might be able to make a greater impact towards the kids in the country by starting a TV show than by working for a church. And so ironically, as Fred prayed about what his calling to ministry looked like, he realized that his call was not to work in a church but was to start a TV show. Because if he, if he served as a minister, he might have the ability to impact and influence hundreds of kids as a minister. But to start a TV show that reached millions of people that probably everybody in this room at least knows about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the longest-running kids' show ever, like, he was able to impact millions of people. And his story is a reminder to me that every Christ follower is called to ministry. It's just a matter of how that looks for you. That the passion that God's put on your heart, the resources that you have, the gifts that you have, and how God has positioned you might look totally different. And, and God may have positioned you to be in a very specific job or in a specific classroom with people, and you might be their only connection to God. That is your ministry. And so I wanted to look at, at his story, but I, more importantly, I wanted to look at what the Word of God has to say about this kind of calling. We're going to look at the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 4. Um, and this is almost a sequel to what we talked about for those of you that were here two weeks ago when we were talking about the Incredibles, where before Moses, his, his burning bush moment where, where God says, I'm going to use you in this miraculous way, he spent his first 40 years of his life um, growing up in the Pharaoh's palace. In the, like it was the richest family in the entire world, the most powerful family. He had the best education. But Moses was wired like he had a passion for the injustice around him and fighting against it. And, and he grew up, at, because he, he came from an Israelite family, he saw all of his Israelite friends that were enslaved and he wanted to do something about it. And that zealous nature like caused him to, just out of anger and out of passion, kill a Hebrew guy who was suppressing an Israelite. So all of a sudden, he flees into the middle of nowhere, Midian, and he spends the next 40 years not in the Pharaoh's palace, but in this small town as a shepherd. And he probably thinks his life is over. And then God shows up in this burning bush moment, which many, whether you've grown up in church or not, you probably have heard a little bit of that story before. Um, and that's when the Ten Commandments and the pla like all that stuff, the plagues, the Prince of Egypt, all, the, all those movies that are about it, like that's, that's the beginning of Moses' story right there. Um, and, and this is the conversation, Exodus chapter 4, that he has with God when he feels that God's calling him to do something, but he struggles with that. And, and he feels, I'm not worthy for that. Like, God, you've got the wrong guy. I'm just some shepherd and I've been a shepherd for 40 years. And so God's already tried to talk him into it once. Exodus 4 is God's second attempt. And here's what it says, verse 1. Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. And I just want to pause there for a moment. His shepherd's staff, like, that's a symbolic thing for Moses. That's not just some tool he had. That, that was how he did his job. 
as a shepherd. That was the thing he was most comfortable and familiar with. Like that was a representation of what he'd been doing in his life the past 40 years. It was his passion. It was how he did his job, his shepherd staff. I think every one of us, if we started to think of what that would be for us, like what's the thing that kind of represents our passion, the greatest tool we have, like what is the thing that allows you to do your job? That's your shepherd staff. Verse three, throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back, as many of us would do if a staff turned into a snake, right? We all have some Indiana Jones syndrome that we're terrified of snakes. Imagine in the Jewish culture, um, snakes didn't just represent like the animal that nobody wants to be around. And no offense if you have a pet snake, I don't want to come to your house. But (laughs) snakes represented an enemy of God because in the Jewish culture, Adam and Eve, who were created by God, to have this relationship with them. They, the first time they disobey God, it's because they're tempted by who? Satan in the form of what? A snake. So in their mind, the snake in the Jewish culture was a representative of an enemy of God, of, your, of our greatest fear, of the thing that holds us back from God. So God takes Moses' staff, which represents his greatest passion, and he turns it into his greatest fear. And then watch what he does. Verse four, the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. Now, would you do that? Yeah, a lot of us wouldn't, right? Reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out, and he grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Verse 5, perform this sign, the Lord told him. He's saying, perform this sign before the Pharaoh to show them my power. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. Like God is saying, I have more power than your greatest fear. Like, whatever you fear the most, whatever that snake is for you, I have complete power over it. You may not want to follow God because you're afraid of what other people will think. God can help you overcome your insecurity. You may be afraid because, like, the control thing, like, you just don't want to give control to God. God will guide you. You may feel like you're not qualified and you don't have enough like information or, or wisdom. God will give you wisdom. James says if you lack wisdom, James 1, pray and God will give you wisdom and discernment in the situation. He's saying that whatever that great fear is for you, like God can bring that fear and then he can take it away because he has complete dominion over whatever is stopping us from living out the calling that he has put on our lives, that God wants to use your passion for his impact. Like Moses had this passion. He had this passion to help release and free his people out of slavery. And that's why, out of anger, he killed that guy. And then he fled to Midian and he thought his life was over forever. And God says, I want to use that passion for my impact. Like God has given you specific passion. Like you have a shepherd's staff, whatever it is that God has given you, and he may want to use that. And that is your ministry. You don't have to quit your job to go into ministry. You might already be in it. It's just a mindset difference. So I want to show a clip again from Won't You Be My Neighbor um, of what, how God used Fred Rogers uh, to not, like, not as a minister, but essentially as a televangelist. He was the first ordained televangelist. The Presbyterian Church still ordained him as a minister because they recognized that what he was doing was ministry. And this, to me, is the most impactful moment in his legacy that impacted millions of lives for decades. And I just want to show you guys this clip and then we'll come back. 
the beginnings of PBS was going to probably be dismantled by Richard Nixon, whose approach to media was to threaten stations if they didn't behave politically. Nixon had a problem with his budget. He had to find money for the Vietnam War. It wasn't a lot of money in today's terms, but he wanted to cut the budget. In the midst of all this, Fred Rogers gets to go before Congress, argue for $20 million of funding to sort of solidify PBS in front of John Pastore, who's the senator who had already sort of made his congressional bones by attacking television. This is going to be a thorough hearing. This is going to be a hearing not to reach for a headline, but to reach for a result. There have been two days of hearings, and he hasn't been very impressed. If you've been watching those hearings and you had to bet on whether or not PBS was going to keep going, no. That educational television should permanently struggle for subsistence is intolerable. All right, who's the next witness? Senator Pastore told the group, I've heard everybody read your testimonies. I don't want anyone to read anymore. I'm tired of hearing the reading. When I heard about that, I thought, uh-oh, Fred. All right, Rogers, you got the floor. <laughs> and I could hear in his voice the, the nerves. Senator Pastore, this is a philosophical statement and would take about 10 minutes to read, so I'll not do that. Uh, one of the first things that a child learns in a healthy family is trust. And I trust what you have said, that you will read this. It's very important to me. I care deeply about children. My first children... Will it make you happy if you read it? I'd just like to talk about it, if all it's right, all right. Sir. This is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we in public television can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service. Uh, could I tell you the words of one of the songs which I feel is very important? Yes. This has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that the children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children do doing puppets in in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad, you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong, and nothing you do seems very right. It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong, and be able to do something else instead, and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, 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 any time. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. 
Looks like you just earned the $20 million. Isn't that awesome? Like, he saved PBS. PBS was going to be shut down uh, by, by Nixon decades ago, and it was that little, like, what if that's the only reason that, that God called him to not be a pastor was for that moment? But we know that he had decades of other moments that God used him to encourage and impact and give hope to kids during the Cold War, during crisis, when their parents are fighting, and he's helping them to emotionally navigate through that. that for Fred, that was his ministry. For Catherine, her ministry is serving families that are struggling with depression, with anxiety, with, with addiction, that, that have mental health issues. For my friend Brian, who's a full-time mechanic, his ministry is helping families fix their cars because they can't take care of their families without it. And he's like, when our car broke two weeks ago, I knew I could call Brian. And like, out of compassion, he picked up our car on a Friday night and he fixed it by Saturday morning because he just cares for people. Some of you might be passionate about physical health, and your ministry is helping people become healthier. You might be passionate about kids, and your, and your passion, your ministry, is as a teacher or as a child care development aid. Or, I mean, there's so many different... You might be passionate about stewardship and finances, and God may have blessed you with a mind that you care like more about finances, uh, not, not you love money more, but you understand how to take care of your money and how to budget better than most of us, that might be your ministry, is helping people understand how to get out of debt. For Moses, he had a passion for those that were disadvantaged, but he was terrified of how God would use that because he didn't feel qualified, and he didn't feel like his shepherd's staff was enough. Verse 10, Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I'll be with you as you speak, and I'll instruct you in what you say. That if God calls us to do something, he equips you along the way. God's, God's like, he's not looking for the qualified. None of us are qualified to do ministry for God. Nobody is. I'm not. The only thing that qualifies me is what Jesus did on the cross for me. He's not looking for those that feel like they're qualified. He wants you to feel overwhelmed in the calling because he wants you to recognize you desperately need him to do it. If you feel like you could do it without God, you're not dependent on him at all. He's not looking for those who think they're qualified. He qualifies those who are called along the way. And we have to have faith every step of the way. Verse 13, Moses again replied, Lord, please send anyone else. Like, don't we all just like, we just love to come up with excuses for why, why not us? Send anyone else. And here's the deal. God's story for your life is unique to you. It's not unique to anyone else. And here, here's the unique thing. God doesn't need us at all. Like, no offense. But God doesn't need me at all to, to fulfill his story. But he wants to use me. And he has a story for me. And it's not for you, it's for me. And your story's for you, not for me. And if you decide to be stubborn and to shove it off and to say, I don't want to do it, or that's too much of a sacrifice, or that takes too much faith, God will, will find somebody else. <laughs> 
that is willing and obedient. And their story will still be different, and it'll play out different because they have a different personality and they have different gifts. But God's got something planned for you that's so much bigger than what you could ever dream up for yourself. And the passion you have and the job you're in and the people you're around might all play right into it. You might be right there, and the only thing that's missing is your mindset that God has you there for that specific reason. And you've been praying for God to release you from that, and God's like, actually, that's exactly where you live out your ministry. You are exactly where I want you to be, and I want you to get to a place of contentment where you can trust that I've positioned you there, even if you don't like it. Moses didn't like being a shepherd for 40 years but God was preparing him. And now this moment's come, and now Moses is so terrified. Find somebody else. Verse 14, then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he's on his way to meet you now. He'll be delighted to see you. Notice God's patience, that this is like the second time he's tried to talk to Moses. Moses keeps resisting. God's showing up in this crazy way. He's already shown up in this burning bush, and then now he's showing up, and he's turning the staff into a snake, and Moses is still like, I don't think you can work through me. And he's like, fine, I'll send somebody else to help you. Verse 15, talk to him and put the words in Aaron's mouth. I'll be with both of you as you speak, and I'll instruct both of you on what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He'll be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And look at this. And take what? Take your what? Shepherd's staff with you. Because that's what God gave Moses to fulfill his calling and his ministry and use it to perform the miraculous signs I've shown you. That if God calls you to do something, he's going to equip you and he's going to send other people to help you. Moses was nervous. God saw it and he said, fine, you're not doing it alone anyway. I'm going to send your brother to help you. That whatever your calling is, whatever God's story for your life is, however God might want to use it, he doesn't want you to do it alone. Like God's intention is never for us to live our life on our own. It's to be with other people. It's to have other people around you that are supporting you and helping you, that are sharing your burdens with you, that are walking through this with you, that are giving you wisdom along the way. Like, who can help you? Who around you can encourage you in what you might feel God's prompting you towards or where you are and saying, I I want what I'm doing now. I want to have the mindset that this is God's plan for my life. Who around you can help you to, to get there? Who, who around you can pray with you to help you to get to that play? That's why I love life groups. Like our life group kicked back off, all of the life groups kick back off in just a few weeks. And I love having that time every week to be with people and we're sharing our stories together. And it's not like we have to be this vulnerable, we share all of our deepest, deepest darkest secrets with each other. That's not what a life group is. Life group is sharing your life with people. And when you need prayer, you've got a group of people that are doing that with you. That's God's intention. For Fred Rogers, his ministry was to millions of kids that might not ever come to his church. For yours, it might be impacting and reaching people that might not ever have any interest in God, but because they know a Christ follower who loves Jesus, it changed everything. And some of you are in this room because you have a friend or a family member that was that for you. And their ministry was to pray for you. And now you're here. And in just a few few minutes when we baptize, the people who take the step to get dunked and to make public that they're all in and following Jesus, which is going to be some people in this room that right now you're like, I wouldn't even plan it on it, but I'm in. This is what God has because I know his story's better. Like you are the result of a lot of Christ followers praying for you, whether you realize it or not. And a lot of people encouraging you and reaching out to you, whether you ever saw it or not. 
Like my parents prayed for me for years before I came to find Jesus, and I didn't know that. Some of you, you pray for your friends, you pray for your kids, and they have no idea how God was using those prayers. That's what I love about this, is, is Moses' is calling, it wasn't just his. It was a family calling. It was him and his brother doing it together. God's got something big, and it's bigger than what you could ever dream up yourself. And the first step in it is, is to go all in. And I don't mean all in like you come on Sundays. I mean all in like, like God's got something bigger. And the only way you can live it out is by trusting him because it's well beyond your own abilities and your own resources and your own faith. And you, God, I need more faith. And God may be calling you to take a step and he's like, I'm not even gonna tell you the whole road. I'm just, I just want you to take that first step. And here's the beauty of the gospel. You don't earn your salvation. And a lot of people think that as long as I live a good enough life and I do more good than bad at the end of my life, then, then I'll get before God and he'll say, okay, you're in. And that's not the gospel that we read about in the Bible. The gospel is the good news that we will always fall short, but Jesus didn't. Jesus lived the perfect life that God wanted us to live, but we couldn't because we're disobedient people and we're selfish people and I'm a selfish person and God has something so much better, but my selfishness gets in the way and my doubt gets in the way. And sometimes I think I know what's better than what God knows. I couldn't live the perfect life he had for me, but Jesus did. And I should be punished for my disobedience because God created me to have a relationship with him and, and, and I've like my, my disobedience separates me from that. But Jesus said, I'll be punished for you. And God came down in the form of a man named Jesus who lived a perfect life, died the perfect death, and then he raised. And that's what makes Christianity different from every other world religion, is Jesus raised from the dead. See, all the other world religions, they believe Jesus existed and he was a prophet, and there's, there's 15,000 historical evidence pieces that prove that Jesus existed. Like, that's not the question. If you doubt that Jesus existed, you're just denying the history books. There's more historical evidence that Jesus existed than George Washington, because people wrote about it. And they said, I saw this, and I saw this, and all this, like, that's there. What separates is that Jesus rose from the dead, and he's the only person to ever do that. By the power of God working through him, he rose, and he proved that he defeated death. And now we can have this direct relationship with him. And so it's there, and it's like that gift that sits before you. Salvation is available to all, but it's not automatic. It's not like, oh, Jesus did it, so I'm good. No, now it's your decision. The gift sits before you, and some of you have opened that gift, and you've celebrated through baptism. You've let people know what God's doing, and your life has changed since that moment, and that was your decision day, and you'll never forget it. But a lot of us, that gift just sits before us, and it's, it's like still wrapped, and God's saying, all you have to do is unwrap it. All you have to do is say yes and say, say I want to turn from my sins. I want to stop living out the story that I have, and I want to trust that you have something so much better. I repent of my sins. God, come into my life. Forgive me. I want to start this new journey. If you're there, then in just a moment, I'm going to pray with you. And if you've never been baptized and you know that that's your next step and you've been waiting and some of you have been eager and you're like, when's the next baptism Sunday? I'm, and some of you are the other end. You're like, I came in and like, I don't know what I'm doing, but it's like me at winter retreat. I'm raising my hand and I'll figure out the rest later. All I know is this is what God has for me. Then in just a moment, after I pray, what I'm going to ask you guys to do, we're going to stand up. We're going to sing a few more songs together. And if you're ready to be baptized, we've got shirts out there. We've got shorts if you need them. We've got towels. And we've got volunteers out there that will help walk through uh, with this decision. And then you'll come back in, and then we're going to have a party. Because we are going to celebrate the most important decision you can ever make.
And some of you were baptized months ago or years ago, and you still remember that moment when a, when a room of people that you might not even know their names clapped for you. And you know why? They weren't really clapping for you. They were clapping because God rescued another soul. Our story's not about us. It's about God. You can make it about you, and you can miss out on God's story, but God has something so much better. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And if that's you, if you're, if you're ready, then when we stand up, I just want you to exit and go to the Connection Center, the room with the big glass doors, and we'll help walk through that. And we'll get you changed, and we'll come back in. And don't worry, we're not going to make you give a speech or anything like that. Don't worry. Um, you just get to celebrate with all of us. And we're going to clap because that's a big celebration moment. Now, if you've already taken those steps, if you've already asked Jesus into your life, you've already been baptized, then, then during this prayer time, I just want you to take a moment and reflect on what is God's story for me and how have I been missing it? Like, what, what is, where do I need more faith and more obedience in him? Where do I need more contentment? Where do I need to recognize that maybe right where I am is where God wants me to be? That's my prayer for you because I, I know that God's got something specific planned for you. It's not for me. And it's not for your neighbor, and it's not for your brother, it's, it's for you. And it doesn't mean you have to do it alone, but you have to take time to say, God, what is that for me? And pay attention to that quiet nudge. Let's pray together. Lord, I do thank you that every single one of us is, like, you want us to do ministry with you. And you're not looking for, like, the greatest, the best the most obedient, like, the, like you, you set the bar low because you know that we'll fall short, God. You're looking for us to say yes with our next step, God. It doesn't mean we have to live a perfect life because, quite frankly, we can't. But, God, my prayer, first of all, is for the people in this room that are ready to go all in on you, and they know it, like they can feel it, and they're ready to take that step. They're ready to celebrate and let people know the, the display of what you're doing in their lives and make this, this image a public image. God, I just want to pray with them right now. And if, if that is you, I just want you to pray this in your heart. You don't even have to pray it out loud because prayer happens in our heart. That, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've been disobedient to you. I've fallen short of what you have for me. I've been selfish towards others. And I repent. I confess that to you. Lord, I ask that you forgive me. I want to have a relationship with you. Thank you for dying for me. I'm ready to step into the story. I'm ready to go all in. I pray this in your name. Amen.